0: I love that song. Hey, don't you? All you need is love. You don't need to. You, thanks, Naomi. They don't need to hear me sing this. Hey. Um, I have a question for you. How's your, whoop! It would help if I turned it on so the question came up. How's your love life? How's your love life? Okay, excellent. Um, so if you had to rate it on a scale of um, All You Need Is Love by The Beatles, like all you need to, to over maybe on this side of the scale, it would be like Bon Jovi, You Give Love A Bad Name. You know, like, shut through the heart and you're too late. Um, <clears throat> again, no one needs me to sing, so I'll stop. Um, if that was kind of the two ends of the spectrum, like All You Need Is Love, The Beatles, and You Give Love A Bad Name by Bon Jovi, ha- you don't have to answer out loud. We know where some people are at. It's awesome. They would answer up here like, yeah, it's great. Like, love is fantastic. It's awesome. It's going great. Like, it's the best it's ever been. Uh, maybe some of you are, like, in the middle, and you're kind of like, ah, it, it, could, it could be a little bit better. Like, there are some conversations we could have, and there are some things that we could address. And, and maybe some of you are over here, and you're, like, shot through the heart. Like, it's really, really difficult. Like, it's really, really challenging for you. And um, <clears throat> and regardless of our faith, regardless of how your love life is doing, I think here's something that we could all agree on is this, that the world would be a better place if we just loved each other. Haven't you heard someone say that? I haven't maybe even you said that. Like, the world would just be a better place if we were a little more forgiving. The world would just be a better place if we just didn't constantly assume everyone else's motives. If we didn't constantly make up a story as to why they're late or why he said or why she said. It would just be a better place if we just asked them why. But right, the world would just be a better place as if, when someone cut you off in traffic, you just like didn't get on the horn and then swing around them and then like death stare them as you drive past. That might just be me, but maybe you have that problem too. And and here's the thing: like the world, the world wouldn't be perfect if we loved each, if everyone just loved each other, right? But but the world would be a lot more forgiving. The world would be a lot more grace-filled. The world would be a lot less stressful. If we just loved each other a little bit more. And for those of you who were here last week for part one of Be Rich, maybe you're like, what? why are we talking about this? If you've kind of just joined us today, you could, be, um, you could think that like, maybe we're in the middle of a relationship series. We're not. Um, but I- I'll explain why this is so important at the moment because we're actually in the middle, if you're joining us for the first time, um, or if you snuck in late, my name's Chris. Um, we're so, so glad you're here. are um, here. We're actually in one of our favorite times of the year where for, for a whole month we are just uber generous and the reason that we do this series called Be Rich is because we want to unleash a wave of generosity um, on our local community and on, the, on the, uh, the, our state and on our world as well. We just want to be generous with what we have. And so last week as we launched this series we kind of p- began to put the challenge out there. We said hey for the next month um, we want to we challenge 100% of you to give and then we're going to give 100% of it away. 100% of you to give, and we're going to give 100% of it away, and we named some of the partners that we're going to be giving um, some of the, our funds to. Um, y- if you want to listen to that, you can jump onto our podcast or onto our SoundCloud. I don't have time to go through all of them again, but we set our target that we wanted to raise $3,500 this year across, both our, uh, across all of our community, and this week, um, you have begun and you've raised $823 in seven days. That's awesome. You should give yourselves a round of applause for that. Like, that is that's not small. And so we're moving in that direction. By the end of the month, we want to have $3,500 raised. And our commitment is we're, gonna get, we're giving 100% of it away. And something that, um, that we couldn't plan for because no one can plan for this is, um, is obviously all the bushfires that are happening at the moment um, across our state and across our nation. I mean, we want to let you know we are going to be doing something about that. We're going to tell you about that, but we're going to do that in December. Okay, because that's going to be the time of the year when those families are going to need um, help the most. When people whose houses have been wiped out are going to need that um, help the most. So we are going to be doing something about that. Um, just not in Be Rich. You, you try and plan as far as out in advance as you can, and then uh, and then something like this happens. And, and as a local church, we really feel like we need to do something and support that. And so we will be. Uh, we just let you know um, that our goal is three and a half thousand. If you missed it, um, or how you can be a part of that. Whoops, go back. Um, there's our details there. The cards are at the back. Um, you can just transfer and make sure you write the description, Be Rich. Be Rich in that description so we know it's for the Be Rich um, campaign and we're going to give it all away. But the reason I'm kind of curious about your love life is, is not particularly because I want an update on your love life. Um, you can keep that to yourself. Um, it's really because as followers of Jesus, this is a really, really important question to ask. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're new to faith, this is a super, super important question to ask. And the reason it's so important for us to ask is simply this, Love is one of the hardest things to live. But right? it's not complicated to say love each other. It's not even complicated or hard to know what to do in order to love someone. It's incredibly, incredibly simple. It's just not easy, is it? It's not easy to continue to move your schedule around to try and make time to catch up with that one person who 20 minutes before every single time once you've got the kids off to school early and you've got hubby or you've got wife all sorted for the day and you've, you've teed them up and you've moved around your lunch break at work, it's not easy that as you're walking in the doors of the cafe, you get a text or you get a phone call. Oh, sorry, something came up. I can't make it. It's not easy to continually make time for people like that. It's not easy, right, when you're a parent and you keep telling your kids, pick your clothes up off the bathroom floor, pick your clothes up off the bathroom floor, keep your room tidy. It's not easy to keep your temper, right? It's not easy when you've come home from a long day of work, when that project is past its deadline, when life is kind of expanding. It's not easy to kind of keep it all inside and kind of go, I know what I should be doing right now to love you. It's just, it's just a little more difficult than that. In the same way, it's, it's not always easy when you needed that person to, to call you by five. When they said that they'd get that email, when they told you that they'd bring the budget in for work, when they told you that you'd have that report handed in, and then they don't. It's not easy to assume or to think, maybe there's something going on in their lives. Maybe, maybe instead of jumping down their throat, maybe what I need to do is give them a phone call and say, hey, hey, is everything all right? Because love is one of the hardest things to live. And this is so, so important for us to kind of look at and why we want to look at it today and answer this question, like how's your love life? Because when people who aren't followers of Jesus Um, or people who are skeptical, or people who are curious about faith, one of the things that they do um, when they kind of want to find out a little bit about who God is, is they don't, okay, they don't go to YouTube and they don't go to podcasts and they don't search the best Christian pastors and preachers and communicators and listen to their messages, okay? They don't open their Bible up and start reading it. They don't pray. Why? Because those are all things Christians do, okay? Christians do those things. People who are curious, people who are skeptical, they don't do those things. What people who are curious or one of the things that people who are curious or people who are skeptical about God, what they do is they watch and they observe and they observe you and they observe me and they go, how do they forgive? How do they love? How do they handle their finances? How, How is the way in which they look at the world different to the way in which I look at the world. And one of the questions, because uh, there's, there's probably a number of questions that they're trying to answer, but one of the questions that in this observing that they're trying to understand or try to, to create an answer to is simply this. Who really is God? And what is God really like? Okay, like, who really is God? And, and what is God really like? And, and so what they do is they think to themselves, well, well, maybe I'll look, observe someone spiritual. Maybe I'll say, observe someone who's a Christian and I'm going to just watch their life. And in watching their life, surely I should get a glimpse. Surely I should get an insight into who God is and what God really is like. And I've got a bunch of mates. In fact, some of my closest mates aren't Christians. And so for me, this is, this is so, so interesting. And I'm always asking them. I just, I just generally am curious as to like, what their pushbacks are or what their barriers are because I just want to know. And one of the reasons I sort of said, like, because they were talking about, hey, we just look at Christians and we just observe, and I was having a chat, and I was like, so, so why is that? And it was fascinating, because they said, well, well, the reason is because of something we've heard. And maybe if you're curious or you're skeptical, maybe the reason you look in is because of something you heard about God. Maybe even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but you kind of believe, well, oh, there's something bigger out there. There's some higher power or something out there that's beyond this world. Maybe the reason you're kind of curious and you want to answer this question is because of something you heard someone say about God. And the thing that we're going to look at, this statement that a lot of us have heard people say, maybe you've even uttered it about God yourself, actually, until 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing that anyone said about God, and in fact, I'm going to show you the three little words that make up this statement, and you're going to probably look at it and you're going to be like, that's not really that remarkable. Um, And that's okay, because until 2,000 years ago, no one would have ever dared to make this claim. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus' best mate, John, wrote three little words, and these three little words changed the way and changed the conversation around who God really is and what God is really like. And the three little words John wrote are this God is love. God is love. John didn't say God is loving, God is nice, God is, God is a really cool guy to hang out with. No, no, no. John said God is love. And the fact that you look at that and you're kind of like, well, that's not really new, Chris. That kind of comment or that kind of statement, it's not remarkable. Is a testament to just how remarkable John's comment was because we kind of hear and we kind of like whether we agree with this or not is a different different conversation but we look at this and we're kind of like yeah i've heard people say that because two thousand years ago in the culture in which john was living in the pagan gods no one would have ever said this about them because the pagan gods they were jealous they were angry they were fickle and just for fun what the pagan gods like the roman gods and the greek gods like zeus and Ares and apollo what they would do just for fun is they would meddle in human lives that's, that's their stories. If you look at Greek and Roman culture, that's how they understood God. In fact, the Jewish people, the way they understood God was like holy, authoritarian, set apart. Like God, God was impressive, but God wasn't approachable. They never looked at God and said, oh, God is love. They looked and said, like, like, God is big, God is scary, and God is powerful. Yet John wrote these three little words and said, God is love. And maybe you're here this morning and you kind of like, maybe you've heard this, but you struggle to understand how this could be true. Because you look at it and you're like, yeah, well, like I've heard it, but it really challenges me because when I look at the world, I see a lot of suffering. And one of my questions is, is how could a God who claims to be love allow a whole lot of suffering? And something you need to know is that, that John himself, just because he was a Jesus follower, didn't have a great life. John actually spent the remainder of his life exiled on a little tiny island called Patmos. And prior to that, prior to that, before John even wrote these words, he saw uh, a Roman emperor destroy a temple in Jerusalem. And, And as that temple was destroyed, he saw hundreds of Christians murdered. Then two of John's closest friends, a guy called Peter and a guy called Paul, were executed on public display by the Roman Emperor Nero. And then Nero, after that, continued to kill hundreds of Christians for a political agenda. And John saw this. And John heard stories about this. And yet he still wrote these words, God is love. And maybe, maybe part of you wants to ask the same question that I want to ask, which is simply this, Is like, what did John know that we don't? Because right, I'll be honest, if I saw what John saw, I think I'd have a really tough time believing that God is love. I don't know that I could possibly, if I was in John's situation, write those three words, God is love, if I'd experienced that John had experienced. So part of me wants to know what did John know that we don't? And what, what John knew that we didn't, he actually tells us. He actually tells us because he wrote a biography on the life of Jesus. And he gives us an insight. Something happened. And it was around a dinner table and Jesus made one one statement. It was one statement that changed John's perspective. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This This is this claim that Jesus makes that I am God. I am God. If you stop short of me, you'll miss God. If you look past me, you'll miss God. And then more than that, the very next day after Jesus had made this claim, John witnessed his best friend die on a cross, executed by the Roman government. And then he saw them take his lifeless body off the cross, bury it in a tomb. And then three days later, John had breakfast with him. And the reason that John concluded God is love is not because of something someone taught him, but because John believed, and I'm kind of inclined to, to go with John on this one, that if someone can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm inclined to believe whatever they've got to say. I'm inclined to lean in to what they've got to say, because if they've got power over death, I kind of want to know what's going on with that story. And really, I think where the rubber hits the road for a lot of us today is simply to ask this question. How do we love in a way that transforms people? Because John, despite all uh, all, all that he had seen, all that he experienced, he still concluded that God is love. And the reason that he concluded that is because he had seen Jesus' love transform his life. He had seen the way that Jesus spoke and the way that Jesus interacted with other people, and he had seen it transform their lives as well. And he wasn't willing, despite everything he saw to walk away from that fact, he still believed that, you know what, love can transform. And love has the power to transform because I've seen it happen. And so for us as followers of Jesus, this is an important question to answer. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this is a question that you should spend some time answering as well. Because if you really want to make an impact in the world, if you really want to make a difference in the world, you can't possibly hope to do that without some element of love. Without some element of making a difference or making people's lives better or making an impact. And we kind of, John Gionic gives us us actually a a glimpse in another part of his biography about Jesus. This was before Jesus died, we're going to look at. I'm going to jump in on this Conversation and Jesus actually isn't the main character in this conversation. There's a guy and, a, and a, a, a man and a woman, they're the two main characters. You'll get to see who a little bit about they are, uh, who they are in a second. But in this, John gives us a glimpse about how we can love in a way, despite what we experience, that we could conclude that God is love. And this is where it picks up. He says, Six days before the Passover, which was kind of a Jewish um, feast that happened once a year, and Jesus was a Jew, so they would celebrate these Jewish feasts together. Six days before the Passover celebration, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. So he rocks up this small town to his mate Lazarus's house, um, and just so everyone's kind of clear on who Lazarus is, John kind of adds this note, the man who, uh, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, if you're curious, if you're skeptical about faith, like, that raises a whole lot of questions for you, okay? Um, We can talk about that, but we don't have time today. Again, go back to what John said. If someone can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to back that they could maybe raise someone from the dead, if they wanted to. So let's go on. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. So Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So they're all kind of having this feast. They're all kind of having this um, party together. And then it goes on. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. Now, we need to clarify, okay, because this is not like walking into Maya into David Jones, into that section that, like, if you're a guy, it kind of just makes you gag because all the fragrances are kind of compiling together and you can't really smell it. And there's those people there with the tester labels like, would you like a smell? Would you like a smell? Would you like... And, like, when, when you're a little kid, you, like, grab them and you, you smell them and then after, like, three smells, you can't smell anything else of anything for the rest of the day. Um, like, those are expensive. But this kind of perfume is expensive on a whole nother level. Because we'll, we'll see in a minute that this perfume would have cost a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. It was made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Now this, like we kind of like, well that's just weird. Right? That's just, what? Use a towel or something. Like why are you wiping his feet? Like why are you wiping uh, his feet with your hair? And and the reason that that Mary did it and everyone would have looked at this and gone can you believe what she's doing? Because you, if you're a female in that culture, you didn't let your hair down. You didn't let your hair down unless you were home with your family. It was always tied up. And we don't know whether Mary ran out of towels or what the situation was, but Mary looks at Jesus and she's seen the impact that Jesus had on her life. She's eating with Lazarus who was dead. And so Mary's response is to kind of go, it was part of their culture to, to wash people's feet before they ate. Um, and so Mary kind of goes, no, no, Jesus, I'm, I'm not washing your feet the normal way. We're going to get expensive perfume We're gonna, and I'm going to wipe it with my hair. This is this huge deal. And then kinda John kind of paints this picture and then he goes on that as Mary's doing this, the house was filled with the fragrance. Just imagine, right, like going into your like, son or your daughter's room like, as they're getting ready for school if they're in high school, all right? or as they're getting ready to go out with their friends. It was kind of like the assault of like, Lynx Africa on your face, or like that Rexona body spray. like, <laughs> whoa. Like, bro, um, you trying to, like, get the girls to like you or just kind of knock them out? Um, and the house was filled. Like, it just kept, it, like, kind of exploding around the house, and everyone started to smell it. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, so John is, like, writing this retrospectively. All these events have happened, and he's recounting them. So he says that. He says, um, and Judas says this, that perfume was worth a year's wages. And what he says next is going to stink. He says, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Could you imagine if you were in that room when Judas, Judas said that? Essentially, what Judas is saying to Jesus is, you're a thief. You're stealing. Like, Jesus, you're a thief. Like, you're taking all this, mu- all this perfume. You're just letting, like, she's got her hair down. For heaven's sake, Jesus, like, get your act together. Like, she's got her hair down. She's wiping expensive perfume on her feet. On, on your feet, and it's worth a year's worth of wages. That can go to someone better. And for some of us, we're kind of like, well, Judas has got a point there, doesn't he? Like, that, like, if Jesus is all he claims to be, like, like why, why, is, why is Jesus not doing something about Why is Jesus like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Like, we should sell this, we should give the money away. And John tells us why. Not that he cared for the poor. This is interesting. Not that he cared for the poor because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, so the disciples, they would have had like a group, they wouldn't have had like individual bank cards and savings accounts and spending cards. They just kind of had one big pot and everyone kind of dumped their money into it because it was kind of a communal um, society. And Judas, Judas was like the accountant. He was the financial planner. He was kind of like the person with the spreadsheet sitting behind the computer being like, here's who gets what this week. And no one really asked questions. Everyone just sort of trusted Judas. They're like, righto, Judas, we got your back. And he was in charge of the disciples' money, and he often stole some for himself. And it's interesting, right, because on the surface, that kind of comment, you're like, yeah, well, why don't you give it away? That's a good point. But the reason, the reason Judas wanted it sold for money was because he was in charge of the money. And could you imagine what you could do with a year's worth of wages if you kind of just got that in one hit? Straight off the top, into the back pocket. And so Judas was like, no, I love people. I love people, but really below the surface. All Judas was thinking about was himself. And as I was kind of working through this message, I, um, I get hit with bouts of procrastination all the time. And one of the things I do when I procrastinate is I go and listen to TED Talks um, or watch TED Talks. And so I was watching this one particular TED Talk, and it was all about, like, love. Um, and talking about like the way our brain reacts when we're in love and we're not in love. And um, I actually, I can't, I tried to find, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the person who was giving it, but they were like a psychologist or a neuroscientist, someone really, really smart anyway. Um, And they were talking about studies that they'd done where they'd put um, electrodes on people's brain and they'd looked at their brain activity when they were in love and when they weren't in love. And he said, like, there are three centers of the brain that light up when people are not really in love, but they're kind of trying to fake it or they're trying to, like, make it work. And it's three, these three areas, safety, duty, and disconnectedness. And I just imagine that if we were to kind of put that center on Judas's brain, these are the three areas that would light up. He's thinking to himself, like, how can I just get a little bit more money? How can I stay a little bit safe? How can I make sure that kind of, like, every, like that I've kind of got it all together? And then he, he kind of like, we see this duty here. Oh, I know. I'll just say what everyone wants me to hear. We should give the money to the poor. We should give the money to the poor. We should give the money to the poor. And it's got to be disconnected. Because no one, no one should really be able to make a claim where we should give the money to the poor when in the back of their mind they're thinking like, and I'm one of the poor people. Like I'm just going to scoop that off the side and put it in my back pocket. The same way I do it with every, all the other money that's coming in. And then we can kind of compare that to Mary and her approach. Because this um, person in the TED talk, they were saying the three areas of our brain that light up when we're in love are these three areas. Pleasure slash joy area, the risk area, and attachment. But Mary, the reason Mary pours that perfume over Jesus is, is because she's thinking, to us, uh, she's thinking to herself, water's not good enough to wash his feet. Water's not good enough because of the way he's transformed my life. I need to take the most expensive thing that I have and I need to show Jesus just how much of a difference he's made in my life. And that's a huge risk. That's a huge risk. And Mary lets down her hair and this is not like in an erotic way or a sexual way. Mary just does it because she's like, I don't have anything else with me and I need to show Jesus just how much of a big deal and just how much of an impact he's made in my life. And in doing so, it was about connection. It was about relationship. And as Christians, right, so often we can kind of get caught in this mindset of like, well, we're just going to play it safe. We're just kind of going to do what we have to do. God said it, or the Bible said it, or Jesus said it, or someone with a microphone to their face said it, so, so I guess I've got to do it. But we're not really connected to what we're doing. We don't look at the things we do sometimes and, and find joy and pleasure in it. We don't really take risks sometimes for our faith. We kind of think to ourselves like, oh, I could, but I'll just hold on to it. I won't serve. I won't give up my time. I won't be generous. I'll just hold on to it. And then in the midst of it, what we miss is that relationship with Jesus. And what's so fascinating is we look at this kind of scenario with Judas and we kind of say, well, you know, why didn't Judas change? And the, the reality is Judas had the opportunity to change. Judas already saw this incredibly extravagant act that Mary had done. And what the person on this TED Talk actually said is, you know, your brain doesn't have to stay one way or the other, and, and that's, we kind of know that in neuroscience at the moment, that you can really kind of almost rewire your brain. Really, love actually has the power to transform people. Love actually has the ability for you to kind of say, you know what, I don't need to play it safe all the time. I don't need to be restrained by Judy. I can actually begin to take risks for people. I can actually begin to step out. I don't have to be concerned with safety, but I can actually be filled with joy. And as followers of Jesus, when we understand God is love, our default position should be and is to grow in love. Our default position is to ask, not how I can play it safe, but to say, how can I take a risk? How can I I show others the joy that I have within with what, what Jesus has done for me. And so this week, as we kind of continue in our Be Rich series, you probably have something that's probably stuck to your bum or your back by now. Um, on your seat, you'll find these Be Rich cards. And all we want you to do is to be a part of transforming someone's life. You're already transforming lives uh, through your generosity in terms of finance that we're going to give away. But you can actually take your phone out um, and... The little QR code down there, you can just hold your, uh, the photo over your QR code and it'll take you to, um, to a page that has a whole list of dry goods and non-perishables. Because uh, over this Christmas season, we're actually collecting a whole heap of hampers. You can begin bringing them in to beyond um, and we'll have a collection point ro- uh, at the front door from now until uh, December 15th is the date. And o- over Christmas time then, we're going to partner with some of the, our network partners and we're going to distribute these Christmas hampers all across the Moreton Bay region. Uh, We've already actually begun partnering with Grace College Kabulcha for the last like four weeks. They've already been starting the Be Rich campaign on their campus. They already have all their students bringing in a whole lot of uh, dry goods and non-perishables for us. And so we've already got a heap of stuff. And so we want to partner with them. And then we're going to send these hampers out to uh, a number of our other partners throughout this week, uh, throughout this Be Rich series and leading up to Christmas. And some of you, as we close, I want to challenge you. Because some of you are probably like thinking there and you're doing like the typical Christian thing and you're, the, the only reason I know you're doing it is because I've done it before. We kind of go, oh, well, sounds great. I might just pray about that. If I could, I might just think about it for a week and pray about it. And, and here's what you need to know. When it comes to loving other people, there's nothing to pray about. There's only something to do. Because John, Jesus' best friend, says God is love. And if God is love, you don't have to ask God, should I love others? The answer's already yes. It's in the definition of who God is. The answer is already yes. And if John was here, and if John could address maybe the pushback that you have against this, I think maybe John would say something like this. That when you love Jesus, you actually take risks for Jesus. You're not content to play it safe. You're not content to to do something out of duty, but you're actually kind of saying, I need to take risks. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And if you're a parent, I just want to speak to you. This is the last thing. This is the last 45 seconds and then we're done, I promise. If you're a parent in this room, this has the potential not to just impact other people's lives, but impact the lives of the people in your household as well. Because there is a whole lot of research done into why is it that the next generation walk away from faith? Why is it that parents grow up and they just want nothing more than their kids to know the love of Jesus? And there's a whole number of factors around that. But one of the most telling factors is that if you're a parent and you go to church two to three times a month, two to three times a month, but you do not serve or you do not contribute to the mission, the percentage that you have of your child becoming a Christian and staying a Jesus follower all throughout their life is 9% is nine percent and you 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 probably know the reason why right because things are caught not taught things are caught not taught people observe children observe you've seen this with your own children right like if they're standing in line for a photo and everyone's got their hands on their hips they look or hands on their knees they look down the aisle and they go okay everyone's doing that i should do that too if they if they see like everyone's standing like this okay i better do that too they dress the same as as you and they look up to you and they mimic because things are caught not taught And if they see parents and all of us kind of going to church and going through the motions, they're just like skeptical or curious people about faith. They observe and they see. And what do they conclude by the time they reach high school? I want to sleep in on a Sunday morning. But, and here's the kicker, but if you don't just go to church two to three times a month, but you are actively serving, you are actively transforming people's lives, that number shoots up to over 80%. The number is 80.4. Just over 80% by the simple act of you saying, you know what, I want to transform someone else's life. And the people in your own household, as you transform the lives of other people, it actually begins to transform their life as well. So this Be Rich season, let's transform the lives of our community. And in doing so, our hope is that it would transform the lives of the people in your house as well. Let's pray. Jesus, love is such a a simple thing, yet it's often one of the most difficult things and one of the hardest things for us to do in our lives. And my hope and my prayer is for us that we would take our cue from you, that we would begin to not play it safe not do things out of duty but we would begin to take risks and that in taking these risks we would begin to transform the lives of not just the people in our community but the people outside the walls of our community who may never ever have heard about your name until they received a hamper until they were received some of the financial support that we're that we're going to be able to give them help us take that responsibility seriously